How does music make culture, or is it that culture makes music? Hello and welcome to Music to Your Ears. Tonight, in episode one, the Monday in Colombia, the biggest crossover event since Infinity War, we will be looking at an in-depth look at the culture of music and how it may shape more than you think. I am your host, Jaden, and tonight, let's jump right in. To get a better understanding of this topic, we have sent operatives all over the globe who will be giving us special insight into tonight's episode. We will also be answering your most frequently asked questions. And to start us off, we will look at one of the most widely asked questions on our Twitter feed. Can music really be exclusive? This answer may surprise you. Joining me today in the studio is a researcher known as Cameron to answer that question. Well, in its most basic sense, exclusiveness means that you have to have a characteristic that is unique and distinguishable from other people or places. Uh, you have to have that something special, whether that be location, style, theme, or really anything that you can find a specific distinguishable factor. What are some differences between an inclusive and exclusive group? How can inclusivity and exclusivity be heard in music? Well, in music, you can see inclusiveness and exclusive aspects pop up all over. Uh, one of the most common ways we see this is when it comes to the class of people that are participating in the music. Music in different parts of the world can have specific meanings for many different roles in society. Some styles are exclusive to the working class and some could be exclusive to the elite class. Another common way we see these concepts in music is the region where it originates from. A lot of the different music that we hear today comes from many different parts of the world. Today, we're beginning to be hearing about music that originated thousands of miles away from each other. Thank you for that, Cameron. And now it looks like we have our first call-in of the night. Hello, caller, you are on the line. I see you guys are comparing cultures, but I don't know of actual examples of cultures. How big are the differences? That's a great question. So first, when you are comparing different cultures, you can find anything that is different between the two and compare it. That's just basic comparison. You could have examples as big as where people live, which could be a difference of thousands of miles, or you could have as small of a difference as the way people do their hair. Uh, anything that differentiates two cultures should be taken into account, but just know that some differences will be bigger than others. Uh, the two cultures that we are comparing today, the Mande and the Cumbia, uh, there are plenty of cultural differences, both large and small. Well, I'm also curious to know, what actually makes something inclusive or exclusive? So if we're going to go straight by textbook definition, uh, inclusivity, inclusivity means that everything within the topic or your scope of interest is included. Uh, whereas exclusive, exclusivity will include some things, but specifically keeping certain aspects out that do not fit the conditions. Uh, for music, we can see this in something as big as the number of people that can play the music, uh, which tends to vary between different cultures. 
Thank you for that response. So now we are going to go into our specialist report. I have three specialists joining us tonight that are going to give us a better insight on specific aspects of each of the cultures. Andy, Micah, Chloe, thank you all for joining me tonight. Thank you for having us. Welcome. So I'm going to start right off the bat with one of our first questions. How did cumbia develop into a more inclusive national sound, so to speak, for the nation of Colombia? I, I can take this one first off. But uh, first off, it's a voyage. It's a voyage from the lowlands of Colombia near the Caribbean to the cities. That voyage is incredibly important for understanding its ascension to a unified national sound of Colombia. Originally, Cumbia remained exclusive to the working class and rural peoples, and as these people migrated to the cities, Cumbia began to develop further. As it gathered influences from around the city, it became increasingly popular, creating a larger and larger following among Colombians. The introduction of the genre on the radio helped to further disseminate the music among Colombian society, and eventually, it traveled beyond the Colombian borders and more local forms began to take shape in Mexico, Peru, and several other Latin American nations. Cumbia, however, with its increasing popularity within the borders of Colombia, began to take over the music scene and develop as a truly national Colombian sound. Once held in contempt by the elites, it now rose as one of the sounds of the people of Colombia, creating a singular, unifying, inclusive factor that all Colombians could take part in. Very good. Now, what aspects of cumbia make it accessible for everyone to listen to, not just one class? I could take this one. Um, so I believe that cumbia is very inclusive within the music world. One important thing that I feel like fits hand in hand with music and bringing people together is dancing. Sure, some people take that to the next level and become professionals. But besides that, anyone can dance if they really want to. The moment you hear cumbia being played, it makes you feel joy. The music is filled with percussion and is extremely upbeat. Now, I don't know about you, but that to me sounds like the perfect mixture of things in a song that make me feel like dancing. Cumbia, in my opinion, is a style of music that I feel like almost everyone can listen to, enjoy, and bond over. Even music that does not have somewhat of a dancing feel can bring people together. So music that has this feel and puts people in this joyous mood is going to bring people even closer. Although in the modern world, ballads are seen, are seen as more meaningful songs, I feel like it's important to not count out the wonderful and happy moments and memories that you might gain from your time dancing to music within the same style of cumbia. Personally, I can think of many happy times that I had with family and friends while listening to this kind of music. One thing that I think everyone has in common is that we all just want to be happy. Any little thing that can boost our mood and take our mind off of whatever stressors we have in our lives, we want. One of the best ways to boost your mood is by listening to upbeat and happy sounding music. Cumbia has this whole package. If anyone's looking for a new style of music that can put them in a better headspace, I would surely recommend this style to them. Thank you for that. Now, let's take a look at the other side of the coin and look at the Monday people. So, how does the Jalu influence the importance of music being art in this Monday society? I could take this one too. So to first answer this question, I feel like it's really important to note who the Jalalu are. One word that I feel like describes them really well is wordsmiths. They are professional musicians. You know, so without the Jalulu, 
music would not be as important as it is in the Mandi society. I like to think of them as the heart of music in the Mandi society. Obviously, the Jalalu is very respected among the Mandi people, meaning that their influence in music is very strong. In my opinion, I believe that they themselves are what upholds the standards that the Mandi people have for music. So, how do they uphold the importance of music being art? They do this by making the things they perform more than just music. They're more like stories. Not only that, but the Jalalu play music everywhere. They perform at naming ceremonies, weddings, political inaugurations, gatherings, most social functions, and also at funerals within the community. As you can tell by that hefty list, they really do hold a ton of power of music within the Monday society. Very interesting. Now, sliding away from the regular society, let's, I have a question regarding the political aspects. How does the Jalalu work its way into the political aspects of Monday society? I can take this one. So to start off, the Monday people work as a hierarchical society. Their society is split among two main groups called the Sula, who are the ordinary people, the farmers, those with urban occupations and the aristocracy. So mainly the people who don't have to work with their hands. And then the other group is called the Nyamalo. And these are the people who do have a specialized craft, uh, but that may not specifically be the work of their hands like the Jalalu. Uh, they are a part of the, the Nyamalo, but their material are the words. And so they have a professional position as musicians in society. The Jalalu, however, have many other roles in the service of the king as well, from performing at special ceremonies to being a diplomat and announcer for the aristocracy. They also tend to play at affairs of the state, emphasizing their importance to the Mandi society. Ajali serves many purposes. It's, it's a role in terms of the exclusivity and inclusivity of the Mandi, which is extremely exclusive to a specific place in society, but it creates an inclusivity that makes the role diverse, as they even serve some amount of political purpose in the courts of the Mandi king. Excellent. Now that we have looked at both sides, let's see what they have in common. Is there any comparison similarities or differences that can arise between these two societies? I would say absolutely. Uh, one great difference between the Jali and the way uh, Kumbia came to life is since the Jalalu are professional musicians, music takes a much more specific role in the society of the Monday. It reflects that hierarchical idea. Again, as there is a hierarchy in society, there's a specific place for the music to be played and performed. Even the musicians themselves participate in activities specific to their role in society, though the restrictions of the hierarchy have lessened over time. In Colombia, with Cumbia, while it was exclusive to the lowlands near the Caribbean Sea among the working and rural class peoples when it first started, it never resided among a, specific, a specified professional class of musicians. When it moved to the cities, it was able to become a much more popular style and take the Colombian music scene by storm, creating an inclusive, unified Colombian sound, but there was never a set group of people who consistently played cumbia for the gatherings of heads of state. Now, one small similarity can be drawn between the two in terms of there being a social hierarchy in the first place, but that the hierarchy had different influences on the music scene. Whereas in Mandi society, the Jalalu had an immense importance with their music and their ability with words, the aristocracy in Colombia scoffed at the growing phenomenon of cumbia. 
the hierarchy in Colombia attempted to exclude cumbia from the natural from the national Colombian music scene because they believed the music came from such a low place and uh, from unworthy people. The Monte people, however, viewed their musicians and the music they played as of immense importance, not only to social functions, but also to political functions. This importance allowed the Jalalu to have immense influence on society with their power over words, contrasting heavily to the attempt by the upper echelons of Colombian society, attempting to put down cumbia and prevent it from becoming the national Colombian sound. Very, very interesting. So now my next question is, what is the difference in the feel of the music between these two societies? That's a great question. Um, so in my opinion, the first and most important difference in the feel of the music between the Mande people and Cumbia is the heaviness of the Jalalu's music versus the lightness of Cumbia. By this, I mean that the Jalalu music feels weighted, like it's extremely important and carries a lot of baggage. In comparison, Cumbia has more of a light and bouncy feel. Thinking back to your question about Cumbia being inclusive, I mentioned that Cumbia has a very joyous and happy tone. I do not feel the same about the music from the Jalalu. Another factor in the differences between them is that the music from the Jalalu feels very rugged, where the cumbia music feels almost produced in a way. When I listen to them and compare, it feels very easy for me to hear that the Jalalu sound very raw in their style. Part of this goes back to the weightiness of their music, but overall they just sound like they are 100% authentic in the sound of their music. Cumbia, on the other hand, seems completely put together. Every piece that I have listened to sounds extremely put together and well-rounded. Another saying for this could be well-rehearsed. There's always a possibility that a piece of cumbia music is not actually produced or well-practiced at all, but even if that were the case, it still gives off the feeling that it is simply produced because of the music style. I love pitting these two styles against each other in a way because it shows the extreme differences there can be between different kinds of cultural music. Both are lovely to listen to, but they have a ton of differences. Now, thank you for joining us today, Andy. So, first question I have for you is, what is the difference between these two regions in terms of their religion? That's a very good question. So, actually, most of the mandate groups in the westmost part of the Western Africa have been predominantly Muslim since as early as the 13th century. And the others, such as like Bambara, converted to Islam as late as 19th century. Muslim mandate also hold traditional beliefs. According to the oral histories, the mandate in particular, the Sonicate, contributed through trade and settlements to the Islamization of non-mandate groups at the edge of the Sanhei in West Africa. Based on the various study and survey, about around 90% of the population of Colombia's a Christian the majority of which are Roman Catholic, while a, a significant minority is Protestantism, while Colombia remains a mostly Roman Catholic country by Besson numbers. The 1991 Colombian Constitution guarantees freedom and equality of the religion. Very interesting. So now, how is the spirituality different between these two regions? Oh, that's another very good question, actually. Well, Mandate people have their own broad, uh, broad range of cuisines, cultures, and beliefs. Their religion, Islam, has played an important role in bringing spirit, 
Also, in identifying the Mende as a super, supranational ethnic group rather than being an individual tribal affiliations. Well, Colombia is a multi-ethnic society, home to people of various ethnic, religion, and national origins. As a result, the majority of Colombians do not equate their nationality with their ethnicity, but with the allegiance to Colombia while embracing Isopsing and aforementioned simultaneously. Very interesting. One final question for you, Andy. How does this play into their musical style and make it different? Well, actually, this this is the topic that what we're talking about. Actually, it's a very it's a it's a really really good question. So the most famous traditional Mende music is played on an instrument called the kora. It's a string instrument with at least twenty one strings. It's performed by families of musicians known as jelu, or in French as grit. The kora is a unique hard lute with no notched wooden bridge. It's arguably the most complex choral form of the of Africa. While the music of Colombia is an expression of Colombian culture, music gen genres both traditional and modern. According to the features of each uh, geographic region, um, although it's not uncommon to find different musical styles in the same region, the diversity in mu musical expression found in Colombia can be seen as the result of a mixture of native indigenous um, African and European, especially in Spanish influences, as well as more modern American. Very, very interesting. Thank you for that, Andy. Thank you all for that. Now, we have just enough time left in tonight's episode to tackle one more question pulled from our Twitter feed. At 2AM Lasagna asks, how does the style of cumbia music affect economic social classes? To answer this, I have one more guest in the studio tonight. Blake, welcome to our show. I've started to develop in the coastal region of the Caribbean. The people who first started to listen to this music were typically part of the working class. During this time, the wealthier upper class criticized the music and spoke highly down upon it. However, when the working class started to move into the cities, it started to spread throughout the social classes. At this point, many of the elites and higher class people still thought the cumbia style was too much. It was considered sensual and not proper. With more and more time passing, cumbia music has become more and more popular. With this uprising, it eventually starts to become accepted by the higher class. As a result, many people are able to listen to cumbia-styled music no matter what their economic social status is. Due to the growth of cumbia music, how has it fared around the rest of the world? Cumbia music was exclusive to Colombia until it started airing in the 1960s. As cumbia music became more popular and inclusive, it started to generate more and more money. With this success, Cumbia started to expand out of Colombia and into neighboring countries. The countries Mexico, Peru, 
Argentina, and Chile all started to adopt cumbia into their music industries. However, not only did these countries adopt cumbia, but they also merged it with their pre-existing music to create a, quote, different style. Even though cumbia music didn't expand the entire world, it managed to spread throughout South America. Excellent. Now, moving on to our other culture of the evening, do the Jalalu have any benefits from playing music? Not only did the Jalalu play music, but they were also historians for the Mande. The Jalalu are considered to be professional. When they perform at ceremonies such as weddings or fairs of state, they are usually paid a sum. They were to be considered at the top of the hierarchy. The Jolly have been trained to fulfill their status and specialize in becoming a verbal artist and a professional musician. One final question for this evening. Does the location of the Mande reflect in their music? The Mande is located in West Africa, as well as parts of the Sahara region. As social functions are very important, the Jali earn a living off of them. The Mande music features many instruments that are native to the region. This gives the Mande music a sense of exclusivity as to play the instruments you have to have been in West Africa. When playing this music, most of the sub-Saharan societies enjoy a buzzing timbre in their music. Due to their location, they have to create these instruments and sounds with their own resources. I know it is even possible to have metal plates attached to the kora. The kora is a unique instrument to the mande, as it manages to push musicians harder due to the extensive range of pitches. Thank you for your time, Blake. And with that final question, this will wrap up tonight's episode. As you can see, these two cultures provide a range of evidence for the inclusivity of its musical traditions, as well as the exclusivity with their instruments, the history of the genre, the feel of the music, and even the aspects of the political cultures. We thank all of our specialists here for your time, as well as you, the listener, for making us a part of your day. We will be back soon with the next installment of Music to Your Ears. Until then, stay inside, stay safe, and keep listening. Thank you, and good night.